These are the facts. The world is in trouble, but we're going to straighten it out. We are going to build the wall, okay? Don't worry. America first. Together, we will make America great again. That's what I do. I fix things. We're going to straighten it out. Well, time now for Unprecedented, uh, my weekly look at the White House in the company of Adrian Collins. You can find us on uh, iTunes and uh, do subscribe there and get the information every week. Um, Adrian, I must say I'm at a loss. Uh, When we first talked about this, I said civilizing influence of the White House Trump would change because he would have advisors around him and so on. In fact, the opposite is happening. I, I find it extraordinary because I cannot under I just can't understand what's going on. That's what makes it scary. It is, when we talked last week, it is scary, I think. We talked last week, we was in the middle of his trip abroad and the start had been fairly promising, bar a few little small gaffes here and there. Uh in between that time last week and this week, it now looks as though he's alienated most of America's greatest allies in Europe. I mean, certainly, judging by what Angela Merkel was saying and judging by what he himself was saying when he met with other NATO members at the NATO headquarters, uh, it certainly seems that he isn't... One of the things on his campaign trail was to stand up in front of everybody and say, look, we pay too much for defence. Everybody else, you know, I might pull out of NATO, I might pull out of the Paris Court, all this sort of stuff. And a lot of people said, like you were thinking, once he gets into the White House, it'll be civilising and he won't do this. But when he was speaking at NATO earlier this week, he stood up in front of all the world leaders, and we have a clip of it here, and essentially scolded them. Finally contribute their fair share and meet their financial obligations. But 23 of the 28 member nations are still not paying what they should be paying for their defense. This is not fair to the people and taxpayers of the United States. And I never asked once what the new NATO headquarters cost. I refuse to do that. But it is beautiful. Well, that was Trump, uh, what Adrian, what Joe said, scolding them. On this, you see, I happen to be in agreement with him. The Americans have been unhappy forever about the idea that other countries won't pay. During the Cold War, when it, it was a very simple uh, contest, it was Russia versus America, the Americans were happy uh, to be able to play, place their armies in Germany and so on and their missiles and all that because there was a, a threat of a war. As that threat receded and the Cold War ended and the wall came down, I think America justifiably said, well, what about you guys divvying up? And they're not. On this one, I'm with him, and he's the first president to actually save the Europeans, pay up because we're not going to pay any more. I, I mean, there's few enough in, in Trump to find positive. I actually think that's one of his few positives. I think to a certain extent, there's an element of that. His line was delivered as appealing to his voters. Look, this is unfair to the American people. And in general, it's it's hard to it's hard to 
argue with that if you're paying more into a defense fund than everybody else is but the part the problem was there's a lot of allies there that he had that the united states have long standing since the world since world war 2 sort of allies that one while he was giving that speech were standing around you know like down the back of the class pointing and laughing at the teacher like they were all whispering to each other and having a chuckle when he was saying all of this so there's a suspicion there that they don't particularly respect him all that much and then later in the week angela merkel said that essentially they can't rely on the United States anymore. She said, I can only say that we Europeans must really take our fate into our own hands. Like, that's a very bold statement, essentially distancing themselves from the United States after meeting with Trump these couple of times. Even her opponent in the elections had a go at Trump and how he treats Merkel. So he's... But you see, it's really... She did link with the USA. She linked to Great Britain. Yes, she said those two, yeah. Yeah, for and t- Russia, for yeah. well, Russia, obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but but for for totally different reasons, Europe is looking at uh, Britain and America as no longer part of the team or mm. the club. Well, Europe decided that they wanted, and they've been trying since day one, to have a federal Europe. All twenty-seven now, twenty-six. Well, there's twenty-six of them who have. Uh, equal uh, rights movement, equal currency, all this kind of thing, then they can't necessarily, and I'm not, I mean, I'll come back to Trump in a minute, but talk Mm. about America and Britain as opposed to Trump and May, neither of whom I think are very popular leaders with other countries. No. Neither. Um, therefore, but if you look at it from the point of view of America and Britain, they are outsiders. Britain never entered a common currency. America was never part of the customs union. So these two major economies are saying, hold on here. We're big enough uh, to do our own thing. And, and I think Europe has to understand that. Now, does Trump send his message uh, in a way, in a diplomatic way. No, he doesn't. But maybe, and this isn't a defense of Trump at all, because I'm trying to understand him. Maybe he's sending a message in the way that the American people understand. And I think you go back to Obama and, and, and uh, every Reagan, all of them. I mean, remember Reagan and Thatcher were... were joined at the hip. Hmm. Maybe Americans don't want Bush to be Blair. joined. Yeah, yeah, maybe they don't want to be joined. Maybe they don't. Maybe America first is what Trump has said, and maybe he's delivering on that. Now, does Macron like him? Macron, I think, dislikes him intensely on a personal level. Was almost forced to shake hands with him in the sense he shook hands with other people. There's a wonderful piece of video of yes, Macron yeah. um, shaking hands literally with almost anybody else he can find <laughs> except yeah. Trump. You know? Yeah. So is there a personal animosity here between him and 26 leaders? Absolutely. But it's not only that. So you were talking about kind of delivering a message. One person who would have been listening intently to that message would, of course, Vladimir Putin, who Macron met with later in the week. And Macron stood up to Putin in his in his meeting and essentially called Sputnik in Russia today members of a propaganda, Kremlin-led propaganda uh, campaign. What if we talk a lot about Russian interference in the election and we'll actually come to that again briefly because there's been more smoke. But the issue is... If there was one thing 
that Putin would have wanted to hear. It would have been Trump standing up in front of a crowd and refusing to basically say that they're still really in, fully in with NATO and Article 5, which is the common defence article in the in the in the treaty. If you're not in that, there really is no NATO or you're not part of it because if you're not going to come to the common defence, what's the point? So what he, as we kind of hint, spoke about a couple of weeks ago, what he would like to hear is essentially, look, we won't, get inter- we won't interfere when stuff is going on in Eastern Europe. What happened in Ukraine, we'll leave it alone. And now he might be eyeing up further inroads. That's the end goal of what Putin was doing if Russia was involved as involved in the election as everybody seems to think they were. That was his end goal. And Trump standing up in front of NATO and essentially saying, you're on your own, more or less, is playing exactly into what he would have wanted. Yeah. Um, I, actually, the most extraordinary thing in the week for me might well be different from you uh, because it's not a big deal. But it is incredible, I think. Trump handed out his cell phone number to other leaders and he said, give me a call whenever you want to. Now, that sounds like, you know, okay, until you suddenly discover, uh, hold on here, leaders in major countries go to enormous lengths to ensure that their their phones aren't tapped and that, that the, the enemy is not listening in and all that sort of thing. And here's this guy handing out his cell phone, right? Now, personally, I don't think it's a problem, because Trump might make his calls, but the <laughs> other people won't. No, I mean, yeah. there is no way that the, the, the any major world leader is going to pick up their cell phone and call Trump's cell phone and say, whatever. So yeah. it actually doesn't mean anything. But what it indicates, I, I think, is this man, and I can't believe this, and I can't work it out, but I have to think increasingly this man is unfit to be president. He doesn't. I don't mean unfit in the sense of impeachment. I just don't think he has the the mental wherewithal to do job. The day-to-day running of the... Yeah, of a, yeah. yeah. I don't think he has. I mean, this feeds into something else that I, th- I think was the biggest story of the week, which was the, again, the Jared Kushner-Russia connection. So it turns out that like many other people in Trump's White House, General Flynn, Jeff Sessions, uh, Jared Kushner has totally forgotten that he met with a load of Russian people, Russian, uh, like he met with Sergei Kislyak, who was the Russian ambassador, who a couple of people had met with. And he met with uh, Gorkov, who was part of this really long bank that I'm not going to try and pronounce because I'll definitely get it wrong. I think it's Vinicom Bank or something, who are a bank that are very close ties to Putin. So he just totally forgot about those meetings when he was telling the FBI what he was, you know, on his form before he joined the White House, all this security clearance. Seems to be a lot of people in the White House forgetting that they met a lot of high-ranking Russian officials, which seems a little bit odd. But he discussed with them, essentially, a back channel, a way for them to communicate, like you said, pick up the phone and talk about whatever. Now, that's not unusual. People were saying that this this happened during Obama's presidency when they wanted to talk about Iran, and they didn't want people, essentially knowing what was going on because they wanted these negotiations done in secret. The stranger thing is this was done before Trump was president, so while there was kind of an interim. And secondly, that Kushner wanted to do it at a Russian, essentially on Russian soil, using Russian technology to speak to the Russians. So the only people that he was trying to keep out of the conversation were the American intelligence services. And Trump has frequently attacked them. Trump, I remember... uh, 
in the transition around the start of January compared the CIA and the FBI to Nazi Germany. So that kind of distrust, like you were saying, and, and this element of of not being aware of the ramifications of everything that he does, does seem to suggest to me that maybe he's not 100% fit yeah, to do the job. But, yeah, but also the problem with somebody like you and me, and I'm three times your age, is the only thing that age gives me is experience and knowledge of history. The CIA and the FBI have never been, you know, the angels of mercy for the world. I mean, the FBI was essentially founded by J. Edgar Hoover, who was one of the oddest people ever to inhabit the office. So the, the, the FBI had a troubled birth. And if you look at its history to that in terms of, 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 of some of the leaders of the FBI... It's always had a checker career. Similarly, if you look at the CIA, uh, the British Empire gets pilloried forever about its history, which, which mm. isn't great. But then you suddenly find CIA thought South America was part of the American Empire and that they could comfortably go in and, and change Chile being the biggest, for me, example in the case of Allende, that they simply said, well, look, we get rid of him, we put our guy in charge. So, and their guy, invariably, like Pinochet, uh, their guy wasn't great either. So, the FBI and the CIA are not, don't come to anything, in my view, with clean hands. No, but equally, if you're going to be talking to the Russians who have been, there has been opposition between America and the Russians, they're, as you were saying, essentially seen as the enemy. Now, growing that relationship, as Trump has spoken about during his campaign, would be a great thing. Let's let everybody rainbows and puppy dogs and everybody's happy in the world. But doing so outside the purview of the United States on Russian soil just seems very odd, as it does meeting with the head of a Russian bank who have that bank had been found to essentially be employing Russian spies in America. That all looks very bad. There could be a completely innocent explanation for it, but it's not looking like it at the moment. And we must remember, right, if you, if this is Jared Kushner, this is Ivanka Trump's husband, who has almost, I'm going to say, absolutely no qualifications to be in the position that he's in, which is like essentially an advisor, a right-hand man to Trump. He's got no political track record to call on. He's got no expertise in any foreign policy, even though he's been tasked with securing peace in the Middle East. I mean, Trump trusts this guy 100%. And if this guy is essentially channeling everything that Trump trusts back to the Russians, that doesn't look particularly no, good. No, I, I, like, in, in fact, I think, strangely enough for you, you're actually underplaying it by using phrases like, this doesn't look particularly good. I mean, it, the worst case scenario for this, actually, it's Treason. awful. Yeah, yeah, it's treasonable behavior. It's a moment, um, I know you're not a, 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 I don't know whether you're a Western fan or not, but it's a great cowboy with John Wayne in a called Rio Lobo, uh, where during the Civil War, a guy had has fed information to the Confederates. And after the war, Wayne is trying to find out, and he describes what, in no uncertain terms, he says, giving information to the enemy is treason. He says that. And I was only watching this week, so that's why <laughs> it's stuck in my head. But that's what it is. So there's no doubt at all that if the worst-case scenario for this is that there is a Russian story then it's treason. There's no question or doubt about it. 
And this was one of the former leaders of the intelligence services said this earlier on during the week that essentially people who are on a treasonous path don't often realise it until it's too late. He might have thought he was doing some diplomatic back channel work to try and smooth things over with Russia. But if he had, if he was totally inexperienced, God knows what he was doing. Exactly. The other thing is, I hear uh, Trump's director of communications at the White House has resigned. Yeah, so there was a little bit of, there was a period yesterday where they weren't sure whether he'd been fired or whether he'd resigned, but this looks to have been leading to a, a, lo- a, a wider shake-up, I think, across the entire uh, White House. Now, one of the things that we have a short clip here of Sean Spicer, one of the things that has been dogging the White House is this Russia scandal. And it, Trump demands loyalty from everybody in his team. So what he asks is for people to go out and essentially bat down all these stories. Spicer, he feels, hasn't been doing a good job. And there was an example yesterday in his press conference where he got a little bit flustered at the end of the press conference and essentially just said, that's it, I'm walking out. What I'm telling you is is that the reason that the president is frustrated is because there's a perpetuation of false narratives, a use of unnamed sources over and over again about things that are happening that don't ultimately happen. And I think that is troubling. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. That's become the usual sound of the end of the White House press briefings, which is the entire press corps wanting answers to the questions that they've been asking the whole time. And Trump does not particularly think Spicer is up to the job. And during his visit, he actually... But Spicer isn't up to the job. No, but Spicer isn't up to the job because of, I think, the inconsistencies coming from within the White House Well, I told you before, there have been some pretty rubbishy press secretaries in the history of the White House. Yeah, and I mean, getting rid of the comms director is is one element of that. What is the message from the White House? Every time that the message from the White House comes out and Sean Spicer goes up to the podium and says it, Donald Trump will then go on television or he'll go on Twitter and he'll say, no, what actually is happening is this. So, I mean, <clears throat> you have to find a way to deal with completely right. contradictory but if messages. But if the White House press secretary, we're going to close on this, if the White House press secretary stood up at the lectern and said, President Trump, has just saved the starving millions of the planet. He'd get negative press the following day. Because on this one, I'm pretty certain, the entire media of the world, rightly or wrongly, is opposed to the President of the United States. And he he has done that himself by constantly attacking the media. We saw it, there was a small well, I'd story. I'd be constantly attacking the media if I was him. Because they're constantly having a go at him. I understand that. But he... They can't find their search is for a smoking gun. That's what their search is. Now, the last time we really saw that was in the case of Nixon. But for a long time, it was just the Washington Post. It was a kind of a a two-man campaign in the case of Woodward and Bernstein. But this is different. This is the world's media, which is largely liberal, Mm. aligned against the President of the United States. And they may well be proved right. They were proved wrong in the election where they thought he couldn't be elected. I still think that great. I think they're still upset that their dame didn't win. And now, are they going to be proved right? He's doing his best to give him ammunition, like handing out a cell phone, having in the campaign berated Hillary Clinton for using a private email server, and then he goes around and starts handing out a cell phone. So, this is a complicated thing. One other thing that is of note is Donald Trump, around midnight last night, that's Tuesday night, uh, his time, just took to Twitter and said, despite the constant negative press kvfefe, 
Now, he didn't finish that, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. He didn't finish that. And every newspaper, every outlet in the world has picked up on this. He hasn't deleted it. He hasn't corrected it. And part of me actually thinks that this is sort of his plan. A lot of the time, he puts stuff out on Twitter, which he knows will get traction because it's hugely negative or it's hugely against the tide or whatever it might be. Or in this case, it's just bizarre. And he knows that he'll dominate the news cycle. He knows that tomorrow morning, every single, from CNN to Fox to everybody, will just have to talk about that tweet because there might be something else going on that he doesn't want them talking about. Well, the one thing he has proven since he he's, he started his run for president when there were 17 Republican hopefuls is he dominated the press cycle without spending a dime. When Hillary was trying to raise billions to, to for her campaign, he was getting it all for nothing. So was, was he out of his mind on gin tonic? Or is it a deep plan to dominate the media cycle? I don't know. There's all this talk throughout the whole presidency so far. Is Trump playing you know four-dimensional, five-dimensional chess? Is he six moves ahead of everybody else and we just are lapping it all up in the media I think half the explanation is possibly he's thinking ahead and in something like that maybe he just fell asleep while he was tweeting apparently he's teetotal doesn't take a drink or he is you know well aware that he's going to dominate the news cycle by tweeting something odd whether or not that actually works for him it worked for him throughout the campaign will it still work for him as the President of the United States possibly not wish I knew um, Chinese have a great phrase may you live in interesting times Adrian you are so lucky <laughs> to be living through the presidency of Donald Trump it's uh, unprecedented you'll find us on iTunes my man Adrian Collins brings you the best and most insightful commentary you can find anywhere on the Trump Prices. 